Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jay Rich. This is Straight to the Bank, and this is going to be a slightly different episode than I've done in the past. I am so intrigued by the trade deadline. It is five days, five hours, 42 minutes, and zero seconds away at the time of this recording. I'm recording this Thursday afternoon. I'm going to be going through every game on the slate. We have a full slate this week, no bye weeks. And I want to talk about how some of these results could impact the potential trade deadline, who could be on the move potentially if these things happen, and as well, how this could impact some ranking because the other thing we got that i will touch on is jordan reed from espn dropped his mock draft 1.0 so i'll be going through all the fantasy relevant players and talking about the landing spots because there was some spicy ones don't want to spoil anything two quarterbacks no running backs six wide receivers and one tight end in the first round but there is so much to get into this week so let's dive into it all right now we will skip over Thursday Night Football. I think the Bills probably win, but I think it's close. We'll see what happens. We'll see if I'm right. I'll probably be wrong. But first game, Eagles and Commanders. So when you're talking about the standings and what this could mean for both teams, you have the Commanders sitting right now with the 14th overall pick in a big smattering of teams that are 3-4, and 2-4, and 3-3. and three. We obviously hope they lose, move all the way down to 3-5 and five because we want them to get better players because... I don't think they're going to be sellers, but I definitely don't want them beating the Eagles either. Obviously, the Eagles right now, 6-1, and one, trending for the number one overall pick, even ahead of Kansas City right now. Uh, them and Kansas City are the only 6-1 and one teams. So we'll see what happens in this game. Eagles should win on the road. Again, it, are they going to win handily? For whatever reason, the Commanders have really had the Eagles number over the past couple of years. Six and a half is the spread. I wouldn't be surprised if it was close. This game went way over, went to overtime in their first meeting. The weather outside doesn't look great. I think the Eagles win. I think the Eagles cover, but it could be close. The cover is dicey at six and a half. You may want to take the commanders there if you're looking at betting the spread. It's an interesting spot, 43 and a half point over under. As I mentioned, this game went way over last time. It's an interesting spot for both teams. The commanders obviously still trying to hold on. They could potentially, you know, push to four and four and really be in that playoff range with how bad the Giants are. They could be that third team that makes it out of the NFC East. So definitely interesting for them. And the Eagles, obviously, they could afford to drop a game, but. I know they drop it this week, coming off a big win against the Dolphins. I don't think they look past Washington, especially with how much they've struggled against them uh, in the past two seasons. So for me, I think the Eagles are in a good spot here. Probably win. Do they cover? 
Uh, I don't know, but I think they put up some pretty good points. Should be good for fantasy. I don't think Washington becomes sellers. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of talk about Montez Sweat and Chase Young potentially on the move because they can't afford both. So we'll be looking up for that. But in terms of what they could see in the draft, could see some movement a little bit, but probably not a ton for them. I don't see them adding skill position players. Maybe a quarterback if their owner is desperate and really doesn't like Sam Howell, but they'd have to lose a few more games to really be in the mix for that. Next game, you have my New England Patriots against the Miami Dolphins, nine and a half point spread. I think the question really remains is, do the Dolphins bounce back at home against a wretched Patriots team that, you know, obviously beat the Bills this past week? The Eagles beat the Dolphins. So both teams are kind of going opposite directions. The Dolphins kind of got brought back down to earth up against the Eagles playing on the road, but they're back at home. They're nine and a half point favorites. The Pats are riding high off that win against the Bills. Feels like a perfect spot for the Patriots to just shit the bed and the and the Dolphins to absolutely annihilate them. 46.5 point over-under. I mean, from this game, the issue is, is that even if the Pats lose, are they sellers? I mean, they're two and five right now. They'd be two and six. They'd probably be around, you know, where Arizona is. Chicago will probably be two and six. Denver, the Giants, you know, they're in that smattering of teams, haven't had their bye, and are two and five. Chicago, Denver, the Giants, and the Patriots, they probably lose this game. Bill is locked up, so they're probably not tanking. They don't really have any pieces to trade anyways. You know, Ray and I were on Bleacher Report. We talked about, I kind of wish they would move Ramondre because I don't think they're going anywhere this year or next year. And he's a guy who's on a controllable contract. We talked about him potentially going to Dallas when we were on BR, uh, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago. As just like, again, he's got years and time. So he's a guy that if people were selling him, I honestly would be looking to buy and pray that he gets moved for whatever reason. Like, Zeke is there. They'll probably keep Ramondre, but he's just a guy that they don't really need. And if someone's willing to trade you, you know, a fifth rounder, a fourth rounder, because he has a year of control, he's not a guy that I would say can't get moved. And so while I haven't heard many rumblings of it happening, he is a player who's talented enough that if he was moved, I think would have an instant boost in value because he's probably going to a better team. And I think on even an average to above average roster, he's probably a pretty solid running back for fantasy football. So he was a guy that was looking at to potentially get traded. Wish he would. We'll see. But yeah, I think the Dolphins probably win and cover here pretty easily. It's really just do they cover the nine and a half point number. I'm not too sure about that, but they are coming off a pretty embarrassing loss on the road two needs to play better Tyreek did his thing Waddle was dealing with a back injury Mostert was pretty much taken away the whole game I don't think the Pats have the same success especially on the ground I think they're gonna be really vulnerable and Mostert will kind of do a lot of damage on that front so give me the Dolphins and I even like them to cover nine and a half points next we have the Jets and Giants in the Battle of MetLife the Jets are three-point favorites on the road because technically this is a road game 36 and a half point over under the Jets, as I mentioned, are three-point favorites. Are they really going to cover three points against the Giants? I mean, I don't know. You have the Giants who seemingly have been playing much better every single week. The Jets still can't really score a ton of points but play great defense. Sauce is supposed to be back. The other corner is supposed to be back as well. So they should be playing much more cohesively on the defensive end. Tyrod expected to play in this game if Daniel Jones can't go. And to be honest, Tyrod looked pretty good playing with this Giants roster last week. So... I don't really hate that for the Giants either. I kind of just tempted to take the Giants plus three and take the under because 36 and a half points, I don't know about that one. I mean, both these teams really struggle to score the ball. Um, the big thing here is that Andrew Thomas could be back for the Giants. And so that would obviously be big for their offensive line. It would be great for Saquon. 
us, at least, we hope the Giants continue to lose because I think they need more offensive pieces. They're probably going to lose Barkley in the offseason if they don't re-sign him. Daniel Jones, kind of what does his future look like with how bad he's looked? And then you have the Jets, who we know they're not tanking. So if they can get a big win here, you know, on the road, because technically they are the road team in the Battle of MetLife, it'd be great for them. Kind of that pseudo home game that they're lucky to have, like, I think every eight years or whatever. So pretty lucky for them to have that. They're three and three, obviously Giants, as I mentioned, two and five. This would actually be a pretty big win for them. If they can move up to four and three, Jets could sneak into the playoffs. I mean, you never know. Buffalo is only four and three right now. I mean, we expect them to beat Tampa, but if they lose to four and four and then the Jets are four and three, could be interesting. Buffalo not really getting it done right now, but it is so competitive in the AFC that the Jets would have to beat a few more pretty quality opponents in order to get into that playoff race. But you never know. Could happen for the Jets. I expect them to win, but I think this game's going to be dirty. It's going to be close. And if I'm betting a spread, I would definitely take the Giants. Now we have the LA Rams and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys coming off the bye. The Rams coming off a pretty embarrassing loss this past week to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers just continue to get it done. And I don't really know what to make of it, but we will get to the Steelers when we get there. We have the Rams at three and four, the Cowboys at four and two. The Rams probably need the win more badly than the Cowboys do. They are six point dogs. I think this could be a tighter game than the spread is indicating. You know, the Cowboys should be well prepared coming off the bye. Uh, the Rams do need to play much better, especially even on offense. You know, the biggest problem for them is they can't keep Matthew Stafford upright. They are struggling to do that. I don't think the Cowboys are going to make that any easier, but they do have the weapons uh, on the outside and even on the inside at the receiver position to do damage against the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys could struggle a little bit against this Rams defense. They're not going to put a ton of pressure on Dak Prescott. They'll sit back in coverage and they'll wait for him to make the mistake. And I think that's the big thing with Prescott is when you pressure him, if you don't get to him, he's going to be able to get the ball out to his receivers. But if you just sit back in coverage and wait for him to try to fit it into a tight window, force him to dink and dunk his way down the field. That's kind of how you have to beat the Rams. And we saw Pittsburgh do that. Kenny Pickett had a lot of success because there wasn't a ton of pressure on him. And all he had to do was make the right play. Obviously, Deontay made some great plays. George Pickens made some great plays. But Dak's going to have to do the same thing. And with my and in my opinion, with inferior talent. Yes, he has CeeDee Lamb. We know that Michael Gallup can do some things. Brandon Cook's getting more involved in the offense. You know, Jake Ferguson will kind of do some stuff over the middle. But... I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers probably have a better complement of playmakers than the Cowboys. And so if we saw Pittsburgh struggle somewhat and, you know, the refs kind of blew the end of that game for the Rams, this game could be closer to a six-point spread. And especially if Dak isn't on his shit this week where he's going to be having to put balls into tight windows, make good throws, check it down. He can't force it. 45.5 point over under. I do kind of like the over here, but... At the end of the day, we need the Rams to score points. They haven't really done that. And that's why I'm kind of staying away from the over-under. I would take the Rams, I think, plus six. I don't know if Dallas is going to cover that six number, especially with the running game kind of being what it is. I'm sure they will run the ball, but they just haven't been able to run the ball effectively. They use Tony Pollard. He's good until you get to the red zone and they can't finish. And that's the big thing that for as bad as everyone thinks Zeke is, that's where he was so valuable. And that's something that Pollard has really struggled to do. They haven't been able to open up the lanes that he needs or he can't push the pile. Whatever you want to excuse you want to make it, he hasn't got that done. So that's why I kind of do like the Rams to keep this game close and keep it within six points. Next game, we have the Houston Texans versus the Carolina Panthers. The big note here 
is that Frank Wright has given away play calling duties to his offensive coordinator. So we will see how this Panthers offense operate now that they are not getting plays called in by Frank Wright. They are coming off the bye. The Texans, I believe, as well are coming off of a bye. Texans, a team obviously we love. We've been loving what we've seen from C.J. Stroud, Tank Dell, uh, Nico Collins, Damian Pierce, even Devin Singletary getting involved. That will be the big thing here is how does that running back rotation kind of pan out? I think that we all want to see Houston win, but we hope to see some good things from Carolina as well. As much as I want the Bears to have the first overall pick so they have to choose between Justin Fields and Caleb Williams or Drake May if they decide to go another direction or trade the pick, yet again, who knows what the Bears are going to do. I think that there is an opportunity here for Carolina to get a win at home. And as much as I want to see Houston win, I don't know if this is a game where they're going to just outright win this game. We saw them beat the Steelers handily. We saw them, you know, really play well against Jacksonville and beat them. It's just a weird spot where Carolina has been so bad, but we know they're going to win a game at some point, right? And this is a good spot where you have the number one versus number two overall pick. It's a three-point spread. You have Bryce at home as a dog. I kind of like this spot for the Panthers. It's a pretty interesting game. I think we'll all be tapped into it. I hope Stroud plays well, but if Carolina's defense does hold up, if they still have Brian Burns on the roster, they are going to get after Stroud in this game. If they can just sit back in coverage and force Stroud to throw in tight windows, I think they can find success. And as well, this new look potential offense from the Panthers is something that the Houston Texans haven't seen. So I think that's a big factor too. Yes, we've seen this terrible Carolina offense, and now we're seeing hopefully a new look offense, new style, new concepts, more motion, right? All the things we're looking for in the modern day NFL. Frank Wright has not been good enough as a play caller. He's finally relinquished duties. So we are excited to see what could be for the Panthers and Bryce Young and all the other playmakers in this offense. Not worried about Adam Thielen. He's still going to get his. But hopefully we can see more from Jonathan Mingo and some of the other playmakers on this Carolina Panthers offense. I think Houston will be fine. I think this game could be potentially going over at 43 and a half. I hope that Houston can win the game, but if Carolina wins it, that would be great for Arizona because that would mean Arizona may have a decision to make at quarterback, but I think Arizona will get better as well because Kyler Murray potentially could be back even this week, although we haven't heard many reports about it, but it could be coming sooner rather than later. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars headed to Pittsburgh on the road, two and a half point dogs. I mean, I don't need to say much here. I'm, I'm, I'd be taking the Steelers. It's, it's ridiculous what the Steelers continue to do. They win games. They shouldn't win games. Their offense stinks. Their defense is pretty good, but they force a ton of turnovers. They generate a lot of pressure. Is Trevor Lawrence fully healthy? Uh, I think that's a big question that we're all kind of wondering coming off the mini buy that they had playing Thursday night football and then now playing on Sunday. Is how healthy is he? I haven't heard anything about his knee, so I'm sure he's fine. But again, the wrong hit from the wrong way from TJ Watt could pose some problems for Trevor Lawrence potentially. I like the under in this game. I think it's going to be a gross, disgusting Pittsburgh Steelers football game. We'll see here. I think that, you know, when you're talking about numbers and winning by margin, you just take the Steelers because anytime Tomlin's a dog, you want him in those matchups. I thought that Pickett looked much better against the Rams. Now we'll see what the weather could be this weekend. Hopefully it's still good and hopefully it's pretty dry, but we have Deontay back. He looks great. We have Pickens still thriving in this offense. So I think there could be great things coming for the Steelers. I think the offense looked much better against the Rams and I'm hoping they can do similar things against the Jaguars on Sunday in terms of like actual draft and what could mean for them. Both these teams are right in the middle. I mean, the Jags right now, five and two, 27th pick in the draft. And then you have the Steelers, who have the 23rd pick in the draft at 4-2. and two. So 
not a whole lot in terms of draft implications, but playoff implications. Both teams obviously need a win pretty badly. Here would be great for them, especially Pittsburgh. They are tied right now with Cleveland for first in the division. And then you still have behind them the Cincinnati Bengals at three and three and the Baltimore Ravens ahead of them at five and two. So it could be a big win spot for the Pittsburgh Steelers in week eight. Then you have the Atlanta Falcons facing off against the Tennessee Titans. I mean, the game is on the road. It is a 35 and a half point over under. So you probably don't want many fantasy football players in this matchup. And we're getting Will Levis. I Like as bad as Desmond Ritter is. I don't know if you can only give him two and a half points. Like, I don't expect the Falcons to run away with this game, especially because Tennessee's run defense is so good. I understand Mike Vrabel is great when he's a dog at home and he covers spreads like 75% of the time or whatever. His numbers are very similar to what we saw from Mike Tomlin. It's the exact same environment. You know, two and a half point spread at home for the Tennessee Titans. I just don't want to have Will Levis in his first game. It's not that I think Will Levis couldn't be fine. He could be, but he also could turn the ball over a lot and not necessarily because he's just throwing picks left and right, but because this offensive line is so bad, if he doesn't have the time to sit back there and throw the ball, then how is he going to find success in the NFL? You know, I've talked about how the Falcons defense is so much better than it was last season. And even last week against the Bucs, they played really well. You know, they've had their times where they haven't played so well and really struggled, but they've also shown that they can turn teams over and keep themselves in ball games, regardless of whether Desmond Ritter is playing well or not. And I think that's the key takeaway here is that we should have no faith in Levis to keep Tennessee in a game, but we should have faith that the Falcons defense will keep them in a game and Ritter will keep this game close. I talked about last week how I was a little bit concerned because Ritter hasn't played so well on the road. Well, he played pretty well outside of the fumbles on the goal line this past week in Tampa Bay. So I kind of like the Falcons here, two and a half. I think the over-under is obscenely low and that should be concerning for fantasy. You know, we talked about the Giants and the Commanders last week and how we liked a lot of players. The matchup seemed good, but the over-under was really low. And so that was kind of my fear for starting a lot of people in that matchup. And it turned out that was the real indicator was that over-under being so low was the most telling part of the whole game. We could like a ton of players in the matchup, but if the over-under is too low, there's no reason to kind of go all in on it because it's probably going to be a low-scoring game. And it did go below that total in week seven. So again, would I start London? Sure. Would I start Pitts? Sure. You know, Bijan Algier, it's tough because I'm not saying you bench Bijan, but expectations should be pretty low only because this Tennessee Titans run defense is so good. And so you're hoping he gets it done through the air, which he definitely could. But this game could just be like running on first and second down from both teams and then trying to pass on third down. Maybe they get it. Maybe they don't like this game could have a million punts. So that's where I'm not really all in. I think you start London. I think you start Pitts. Again, DeAndre Hopkins, like I hope you don't have to start him, but if you do, like he better be a flex for you. Yeah, and this game's just gross. Like Derrick Henry against the Falcons defense is interesting. I think it's a good spot for him. I mean, we're hoping Tennessee loses because they already traded Kevin Byard to the Philadelphia Eagles. And as well, you know, you talk about them, they're right now ninth in terms of draft position. So they could drop down to two and five, which like I mentioned is in that Chicago, Denver Giants, New England range. So if any of those teams win, which... I'm being honest, don't expect any of those teams to win this week. They could be right in that spot. Right now, they're tied with the Chargers, the Packers. Yeah, the Chargers and the Packers are the two teams at three and four. If they did get a win, they'd be in a higher spot with New Orleans, Vegas, Minnesota, Indy. So it's very clustered right now. 
between three and three and two and five. That's not a lot of difference between those teams, only one and a half games. And that's almost half the league right now is between two and five and three and three. So with bye weeks and a few other things, there is a lot of teams kind of in that middle ground. If Tennessee does lose, though, we could potentially see DeAndre Hopkins traded, Derrick Henry traded. So we should be desperately praying that Desmond Ritter can get it done in a Ritter game. And yes, it is a Ritter game. You cannot run the ball against Tennessee Titans. They have one of the best run Ds in the NFL. If you are not Zach Moss, you will not find success against this Tennessee Titans run defense. So that's why we got to have Desmond Ritter air it out all day, every day. But as I mentioned, with the low total, he's probably not going to. They probably just slam it into those defensive tackles all game long. But we'll see. Arthur Smith, a character, I mean, as long as he's winning games, I don't know why people keep talking shit about him. Like, I understand you may not like the guy, but... Unless he starts losing games, he's going to be coaching the Atlanta Falcons. So can't blame the guy. Can't hate on the guy. Winning cures everything. And people just got to understand that. The next game we have on the slate is probably one of the funniest. The Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. I mean, this is two teams that were left for dead heading into week seven. And what do you know? The Minnesota Vikings upset the San Francisco 49ers. Now, they were at home. And that's always an indication. You know, home dogs can get it done from time to time. And that's probably one of the best spots when you talk about trap games, right? The Niners just spiraling right now. Two straight losses on the road. Brock Purdy in concussion protocol. So he's probably not going to play this game. Or he's probably not going to play this week. Uh, they play the Bengals this week. But they are at home. But who the Bengals. No thank you. But getting back to the Vikings and Packers. I've been saying this. Jordan Love is not good. Like he's really not good. For whatever reason, for three quarters, he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And then his team is losing and the fourth quarter comes and it's like, maybe he can get it done. Then he throws a pick and the game is over. I really like Minnesota here. I think everyone's going to be on Minnesota. I think that's the most concerning part. Like they're only one point favorites. They are on the road. The game could be gross. I mean, Matt LaFleur usually plays Kirk Cousins quite well, especially in Lambeau Field. It's, it's one of those situations where you just know that everyone's seeing what happened last week of the Vikings playing a great game, Addison breakout game, Hawkinson was great, and they're going to want to pick the Vikings. Like, they're going to want to pick the Vikings. As I mentioned, Green Bay 2-4, and four, the Vikings at 3-4. and four. The Packers clearly do not have enough talent. I don't think they're necessarily in the race for a quarterback this draft, but they definitely need some more offensive skill pieces. Some offensive line help would be great for them as well, potentially going Running back in the early second round could be great for them as well because we don't expect them to bring back Aaron Jones. I believe A.J. Dillon is a free agent as well. So this game is very interesting from that perspective because we're talking about this Vikings team that is still kind of trying to compete. I mean, they say they're not going to trade Kirk Cousins. I mean, Justin Jefferson obviously not getting traded. Nobody else really is going to move. I mean, we kind of expect Neil Hunter to be moved. But if they win this game, they're 4-4. Four and four. And at that point, they're kind of, you know, in the thick of it for a playoff spot. Now, we don't expect an NFC team to make the playoffs from this division, but it's really, really close right now. I mean, you have Dallas at four and two. You have Atlanta and Tampa, four and three, three and three. So depending on the outcome for Tampa Bay, if Buffalo can get a big win at home on Thursday, you have Tampa sitting at three and four. And then all of a sudden you have the Minnesota Vikings at four and four going into week nine. And at that point, it'd be pretty close vying for that wild card spot. We talk about the Rams. If they lose to Dallas, they'd be three and five. If Washington loses to Philly, they'd be three and five. 
So you could see this Minnesota Vikings team hop a lot of NFC teams and really be in the thick of it for the NFC playoff picture. Then talking about the Packers, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, except they're a lower spot at two and four. And I don't even want them to win this game. Like, I really don't. I'd rather them just lose the game. I think this season for the Packers is over. They have to start figuring out what they're going to do with Jordan Love, whether they're going to keep him or not. I don't think he's the answer in Dynasty. If he has a couple good games, I'd probably sell him. I just, I don't know what to make of this team. It seemed like they were going the right direction. Then Christian Watson gets hurt. Romeo Dobbs is kind of like, okay. You see Jaden Reed getting involved. Dontavian Wicks, Luke Musgrave. They just spread the ball around so much. It's not very viable for fantasy. And Jordan Love, after throwing, what was it, six touchdowns, I think, in his first three games or two games. Yeah, it's very much crashed down to earth for Jordan Love. He's throwing picks. He's not getting touchdowns. Or he's getting lucky with deflections in the end zone. Uh, but yeah, so Jordan Love is just a guy that I'm not really in on right now. He's not really showing much, but we'll see. This is a good spot for him to potentially have a good game. And if he does, then maybe we could start to believe in him more long term. Now, in the last game, I think in the 1 p.m. slate, we have the Saints and the Colts. I don't even know what to make of this game. Saints and Colts. I mean, oh, man. You got the Colts at three and four and the Saints at three and four. I think the Saints need this win a lot more than the Colts do. We know that the Colts are probably not going anywhere with Gardner Minshew as their quarterback. The AFC is loaded. And we kind of like the Saints. We kind of like the Saints to win the division. We think that they can compete with the Bucs and with the Falcons. I think they have one of the best rosters. But Derek Carr is objectively not good. He hasn't been great. He had an okay week last week. He's yelling at Chris Olave on the sidelines for not running down the field just for Michael Thomas to go on Twitter and tell everyone that he wasn't even in the progression that Olave wasn't really even intended to get the ball and so while he maybe could have ran a little bit harder to clear up for Taysom Hill he didn't really do anything wrong either Derek Carr is just losing his mind on the sidelines getting all upset nobody likes him no one wants to be your friend Derek can he get a win against the Colts I don't know, man. I mean, Shane Steichen's been putting up points left and right on everybody. So if the Saints can't score and this offense continues to struggle, I think it's a great spot for the Colts to win. They're a minus 108 right now. It's basically a pick em, one point spread. Give me the Colts. I think the Colts could win this game pretty easily. The Saints offense just has looked terrible. I, I understand that the Colts defense hasn't looked the best. I mean, they got shredded last week by the Browns, but this Saints team isn't any better or worse than the Browns. And I think if they continue to struggle... Could easily, easily lose this game on the road. I like the fact that it is in the Dome. I like Downs. I like Pittman. I even kind of like Alec Pierce just to kind of break a big play deep. But yeah, on the Saints side, it's Chris Olave. Maybe if you want to start Michael Thomas. Only a 43.5 point over-under. So you're not expecting a ton of points in this matchup. Uh, yeah, give me the Colts. I think it's a great spot for the Colts to get a win. Next, we have the Cleveland Browns and Seattle Seahawks. I've talked about how I'm basically done with Geno Smith, and for some reason, the Seahawks are four-point favorites on the Browns. Now, we don't expect Deshaun Watson to play in this game. It's a 38-point over-under. Give me the damn under, like easily the under. The Browns can't really score a ton of points, and the only way they do is on the ground. The Seahawks are one of the best teams against the run this season, not so great against the pass, but don't expect that to be a big factor in this matchup. The Browns have to go on the road. Geno has to face this amazing Browns defense that will just suffocate all the receivers in man coverage. DK Metcalf is expected to be back, which means JSN is relegated to irrelevancy. But the big thing here really is Geno. And can he play well against this Brown defense? My gut and my 
eyes honestly are telling me no way in hell this Browns defense probably forces multiple turnovers Miles Garrett will probably destroy Geno multiple times easy underplay and give me the Browns to cover this game could easily be a 10 to 13 affair because Geno is going to find probably no success against this Browns defense I think it's gonna be a very tough day for Geno I think that the blitz and the pass rush are going to get after him and he's really going to struggle in this game I think it's pretty easy for this one take Cleveland take Seattle I think that puts Seattle in an interesting spot kind of down the stretch they're four and two right now but could pretty quickly fall out of the playoff picture if they continue to struggle against some of the better teams in the AFC the Browns certainly with that defense are one of those teams and I don't think there's any way the Seahawks can cover the four points and I honestly think the Browns can win this game on the road Next, we have the Kansas City Chiefs heading to Denver to cover seven points against the Broncos. The theory that the Chiefs can't cover big numbers did really hold true when they played the Broncos last time, and that was in Kansas City. And so I'm not so inclined to take the Chiefs to cover seven points against Denver this time around. We've talked about how Denver, and especially Russell Wilson, has played better than people have kind of given him credit for. Now, they've still struggled to score points, but they have been moving the ball much better. I think the familiarity against this Chiefs team definitely is in the favor of the Broncos, and I think the defense is improving. So while, of course, the Chiefs are just as familiar with the Broncos, I think they kind of expect the Broncos to be bad, and maybe they come out and they surprise the Chiefs at home in this matchup. Over-under is 46, so we are expecting some points. I think Kelsey has a pretty good game here. Rasheed Rice getting more snaps than Sky Moore. Thank Jesus. He should have a good game in this spot, as well as Cortland Sutton, right? Cortland Sutton was kind of saved by the touchdown last game, but I think there's more points in this matchup, and I think both teams do better on offense this time around, so I think the 46-point total is pretty accurate. It's just, do the Chiefs cover those seven points? I'm inclined to say they don't, and I think it's a great spot for Denver to cover. They need to win pretty badly. They're 2-5 and five right now. Now, the question remains, are they tanking for a quarterback? That's the big thing for us right now is are they tanking for a quarterback and kind of what do they plan to do? I kind of think they aren't. I still believe they're trying to win football games, whether they are successful or not is yet to be seen. I don't think they beat the Chiefs, but I think they could keep this game close just like they did a few weeks ago. And that's why I like Denver to kind of cover this matchup. I think if I was leaning any side, I'd probably take the under. I don't think you want to start many guys in this matchup, but I think we all kind of know who would start for me. It's Rasheed Rice. It's Travis Kelsey, and then Cortland Sutton on the other side. I don't hate starting Russ. I'm definitely starting Javante Williams. He's been great. Isaiah Pacheco, got to start him as well. He's been great. So I think those are kind of your starts that you want to play in this matchup. Not one I'm really targeting, not one I think will be too good, but definitely could see some points in this one. But give me the Broncos to cover the spread. We have the Baltimore Ravens and the Arizona Cardinals. As I mentioned, we could see Kyler Murray back in this matchup, at which point kind of like the Cardinals I think the spread would be closer to seven and a half maybe seven maybe six and a half if we're lucky right now it's at eight so not a ton of movement I mean if Josh Dobbs starts then it is what it is but Dobbs has been all right he's not terrible I think the Ravens coming off a big win against Detroit could be in for a bit of a letdown spot potentially are they going to beat the Cardinals by eight points they definitely should they have the team Lamar is playing great football. They have Flowers. They have Mark Andrews. You want to start those guys. The running game has been a little bit better. The Cardinals are really sputtering right now. They just can't get things going. They're struggling to score points. That magic they had early in the season is kind of gone. But if Kyler comes back, maybe they find new life yet again, right? I think it just depends on kind of how Baltimore plays in this match. If they are on the road, we've talked about these big numbers for road dogs. Can Josh Dobbs rally the troops one more time at home? I think it's a possibility. If I was leaning aside, I would take the Ravens minus eight, but 
if you're worried about that and you'd rather just go with the Cardinals, it's a great teaser spot for the Ravens in reality. You want to probably tease the Ravens down. That's really like the play if you wanted to make that play. But the Cardinals, they're just a, they're a scrappy team, man. They're a scrappy team. I'm think going to stay in this game. I think the Ravens, this is the game the Ravens don't show up for. Against the Lions, when it's two teams that are battling for a top spot in their respective conferences, that's when they show up at home. On the road against the 1-6 Arizona Cardinals, that's the game that you throw to the wayside and you don't show up for. And that's the main reason why I'm tempted to take the Cardinals. Uh, it's, it's a tough spot. It is a tough spot. And I would be taking the uh, Cardinals, but it, it's not going to get my money. If I was making a pick, I'd probably take the Cardinals and pray that Lamar doesn't show up as well in this game or they choose to keep it close and the Cardinals get some fluky touchdowns. That's just how this game feels like it's going to play out. I like the Ravens a lot, though. I hope they can get things going. I hope they beat the hell out of the Cardinals, ride that momentum into week nine because they are playing good football right now. I just I'm curious to see what happens in this one. Last game of the 425 slate, we have the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco 49ers. Niners are favored by three and a half. I'm not going to say much about it. Give me the Bengals. I, I don't know how you can tell me that Sam Darnold leading the San Francisco 49ers should be a three and a half point favorite over the Bengals. Yes, the Bengals have had their struggles, but they are coming off of a bye. Joe Burrow should be pretty much fully healthy. T Higgins pretty much all the way back. I think the Bengals are trending the right direction. I think they're on the right track. I think while they struggled early in the year because of the Burrow injury and as well their struggles on offense, this could be the game that they right the ship and the Niners lose yet again. It's probably not going to be a high-scoring affair with Sam Darnold at the helm, but if he is okay, we could see some points from both teams. We know that Christian McCaffrey is going to see a massive workload in this game. I don't believe Debo is expected back, which is great for IU, and we could see from him. But there's definitely concerns over what this Niners team is going to do with Sam Darnold at the helm. So you're telling me I'm getting Joe Burrow. Yes, he's on the road in San Francisco, but he is a three and a half point dog to Sam Darnold. I understand the Niners defense. I understand what the Niners can do on offense with Brock Purdy at the helm, but I just do not trust Sam Darnold. Give me the three and a half points for the Bengals. And honestly, don't hate the Bengals money line at plus 145. I think it's a great spot for the Bengals to win this game. Brock Purdy is out. Sam Darnold is in. And that makes it easy. Give me the goddamn Bengals to win this game outright. I think it's a great spot for the Bengals to get to four and three. And we'll see what happens with the Niners at that point. At that point, they'd be five and three and really falling out of the top of that playoff picture. Pretty far behind Detroit and Philly that we both expect to win their respective games. Getting into Sunday Night Football, we have a doozy. Tyson Bajant versus Justin Herbert. Yeah. Um, not too enthralled. Not too enthused by this one. Not too excited. But the reality is, does anyone trust the Chargers to cover eight and a half points? Probably not. No one's putting their real money on the Chargers to cover eight and a half points. I mean, they're probably not. Does anyone think the Bears are good? Nope. They're two and five for a reason. They stink. Can Bajit maybe put some points up against the Chargers? Sure. I mean, if I was Staley, you just sit low. You press, you play tight, force Bajit to throw it 30 yards down the field and beat you. And you probably win that game easily. The over-under is 46 and a half. Chargers, eight and a half point favorites. This game should easily be won by the Chargers. They have way more talent. They have a much better team, but they just continue to show that they can't cover and they will not win a game outright. They will not just impose their will on another NFL team. 
And that's the biggest problem. As much as I want to believe in the Chargers to turn the ship around to get right, they're two and four right now. If heaven forbid they lose another game, they are in Patriot land. They are in Giant land. They are in Denver land. They are in Chicago land. Like they are awful. Like they are awful. So it's a big concern. It's a big concern. Two and five would be a big problem. At that point, Chicago would actually be three and five and I think would be a half game ahead of the Chargers, which is that that is so embarrassing. That that is incredibly embarrassing. They, them in Tennessee right now do not look in good spirits. So again, the Chargers are what they're going to be. We want to start Josh Palmer. He's been great. Keenan Allen should be great. You want to start DJ Moore. He's been fine since Bajit started last week. That's about it for me. Like, I don't know if I trust Deontay Foreman in this matchup. I think we'll see what happens with the running backs. Is Roshan back? We still were dealing with him in concussion protocol. Justin Herbert, if you don't put up 300 yards, like, dude, it's just, it's it's bad. It's bad. Hopefully Austin Eckler can just carry the team to a victory because they desperately need it. And if anyone was going to do it, that's the guy you want to bet on is Austin Eckler. He knows it. They know it. They can't afford to lose a game at home against the damn Bears. So give me the Chargers to win the game, but there's no way I'm trusting them to cover the eight and a half points. So I will take the Bears on the eight and a half number. And last but not least, let's get into probably the biggest blowout of the week. Trap game certified by the wake up crew, because how the hell do the Lions lose to the Raiders at home? They're eight point favorites. They honestly should probably be 10 point favorites, maybe even 11 point favorites. The Raiders team is just, they're so bad. There's literally nothing to like about this Raiders team. Yes, we like Devontae Adams, we like Jacoby Myers, and they will be fine. But the Raiders just do not care. They aren't trying to win games. Somehow they're 3-4. and four. I don't understand it. I mean, they did beat the Packers because Jordan Love isn't that good. But outside of that, I don't see any way they beat Detroit. Detroit is so good at home. Jared Goff is a way better quarterback at home than he is on the road. So give me the Lions to cover the 8 points. Obviously, I'm taking Lions money line. I don't know whether I like the over the under. I think I'm kind of leaning towards the over but very slightly 46 and a half is like a really good number for both sides because I think the Detroit can really blow them out but the problem is that the Raiders just don't allow a ton of points they let you move the ball down the field really slowly and then they try to stop you in the red zone sometimes they have success sometimes they don't so it really just depends on what's going on each and every week I think that the Lions have a ton of success this week it's just how many total points they put up you see a game kind of going like 30 to 14, potentially 30 to 17. One is an over, one is an under. 30 points for the Lions seems more than doable. It's just how many points do they ultimately come up with and how many do the Raiders put up on the other side? Jimmy Garoppolo should be back, which is obviously a big boost to the offense, but definitely don't expect the Lions to lose this one and I don't expect them to not cover either at home. So that's the slate that we're looking at right now. If they did lose, that would push the Raiders down to three and five probably in that top 10 range for a pick. The Lions, of course, still great. 5-2, 29th pick overall. But let's get into Jordan Reed's mock draft 1.0 because it was released on Wednesday, and I was very excited to see some of the things that were going on. So the draft order might be a little bit different than what we saw on this show, but at number one, no surprise, no surprise, Caleb Williams, quarterback out of USC, to the Chicago Bears via Carolina's pick. The problem is, is how do you have confidence in him being the quarterback long-term when they have two of the top three to four picks potentially in the NFL draft? And we expect them to have the number one pick because of how bad Carolina is. I talked about how they could be a little bit better this week, and we'll see how the offense looks now that Frank Reich has relinquished play-calling duties. But if Chicago gets Caleb Williams, it, that, that's it for Justin Fields. Like He could be on another team. 
he might get an opportunity, but we just can't project that. So at number one, we have Caleb Williams going to the Bears. Honestly, don't love it for Caleb Williams, but there's a lot of other spots that aren't great as well. At two, no surprise here, Marvin Harrison Jr. going to the Arizona Cardinals. So at which point they would not take a new quarterback, they'd have Marv. And then of course, having Kyler Murray throwing him the ball. Love that connection, love that for Marv. I think it's a great spot. As we talked about, it's been surprising to see what we've seen from Arizona. They've been competent on offense and defense and have really stayed in ball games. Hollywood Brown has been a very solid wide receiver for fantasy. He's probably still, I think, outperforming his ADP. So I like what we've seen from Hollywood. I think you throw Marv into the fold, and that would be a pretty solid offense. So I do like Marv to Arizona at two. At three, we have the Denver Broncos taking Drake May, the quarterback out of North Carolina. We've seen Caleb Williams struggle over the past few weeks, and Drake May is starting to gain some traction on him for that number one overall pick. I don't think when it's all said and done, we see Drake May surpass Caleb Williams, but at least for right now, but what we've seen over the past few weeks from Drake May has been very, very good. This North Carolina team is playing much better than it was the first couple of weeks, and May is really making the case to be a top quarterback right there with Caleb Williams. So in terms of fantasy-relevant players, he is the only other fantasy-relevant player in the top five. But going down to number seven, we have the New England Patriots taking Brock Bowers, the tight end, out of Georgia. And I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm really not. I, I'm, I like Brock Bowers a lot. I think he's a phenomenal tight end. I just, I really wish we could take a receiver here. Every receiver is on the board outside of Marv. There's a lot of good receivers, a lot of receivers I like. Again, I just, I don't like the idea of taking a tight end in the top seven. Kyle Pitts, for as good as he is, he's just not making as much of a difference really as Drake London in some respects. So you just look at those two picks and you're like, yeah, London was probably the better pick. And so that's the biggest issue is as much as I like Bowers, is he going to take this offense to new heights? Maybe. I mean, you know, you have the Rob Gronkowski parallels and he could be the next Rob Gronkowski for Bill Belichick. And that would be great for fantasy. And I think it's a good spot for fantasy football, but for like real life football and making the Patriots a good team. I don't know. It makes them a better team, but they need wide receivers. Like they need players that can stretch the field, be a threat I think Bowers can do that to some extent, but he can't stretch the field the way a wide receiver can. He just doesn't have the ability to do that. And when you're talking about a tight end, like he can only do so much. And so unless he's going to be Travis Kelsey out there, which I don't really expect him to be that good right away, he's not going to have the impact on the offense that we kind of expect from a number seven overall pick or a receiver that was drafted around that range who can really stretch the field and open things up for the rest of the defense. At number 11 to the Indianapolis Colts, we have Keon Coleman, the wide receiver out of Florida State. Absolutely love this fit. Love it. Alec Pierce is on the damn field so much, and he never gets the ball. Ever. You replace him with Keon Coleman, all of a sudden, you have Michael Pittman, Josh Downs, and Keon Coleman. Now, part of this and what Reed's thinking is, is that Michael Pittman does not have a deal yet, so there is potential for him to be moved. But if he was even there, you have Pittman, you have Downs, you have Coleman, would be a phenomenal wide receiver trio. I've talked about how the Colts run three wide receiver sets on 80% of snaps right now. Get Anthony Richardson another big-time weapon that can make plays down the field. And for people who are not paying attention, Coleman, Jay Reed's wide receiver two in this mock draft. So everyone who's been touting Coleman as a high-end wide receiver, potentially a top three, top two wide receiver. Jay Reed has him as wide receiver two off the board. But a few picks later, 
This is a spicy one. Like This is a really spicy pick. At 13, the Cincinnati Bengals take Rome Odunze, the wide receiver out of Washington. They have T. Higgins. They have Tyler Boyd. They have Trenton Irwin. But T. Higgins is not there yet. Like They have not signed him to a new deal. If they wanted to go this route, I think it's a great fit. You swap out T. Higgins for Odunze. Maybe you trade T. Higgins, get some draft capital, draft Odunze. I think you're rolling. You got Burrow. You're obviously going to re-sign Chase. I think you could fortify the offensive line or other pieces by trading away T. Higgins and drafting Odunze. Of course, it's not going to be a hand-in-glove fit right away. I think we all know that Higgins has chemistry with Burrow, has shown success in the offense, but re-rolling that receiver is a great move. I think Odunze would be a great fit for the offense, filling in for A.T. Higgins. This is the type of move the Bengals could make and really make an impact for their team. Not signing T. Higgins and getting the draft capital, re-rolling him into another receiver that we all can kind of admit could do similar things to Higgins. Maybe not quite the same level, but it's still very explosive. Can still get down the field. Can still make plays on the outside. Odunze can do all that. So I really like the fit if they were to get rid of T. Higgins. If they didn't, that could be a bit of a problem, but <laughs> we will figure that out when the time comes. It's interesting to see Reed looking at a wide receiver for the Bengals because we know their offense is so predicated and built around Joe Burrow. You want to have the complement of weapons around him, and I think getting Odunze would do that for the Cincinnati Bengals. At 15, so another wide receiver off the board, Malik Neighbors, wide receiver four to the New Orleans Saints. Saints don't draft a lot of LSU players, but getting Malik Neighbors would be huge. They do have Michael Thomas. They have Chris Olave. We aren't sure what they're going to do with Michael Thomas, and this is kind of his point here is that the Saints have a decision to make with Michael Thomas in the offseason, but even if they keep him, they must continue to find offensive playmakers for Derek Carr. New Orleans ranks 28th in yards per play this season because he keeps on checking it down to Alvin Kamara or they run the ball. And getting an explosive playmaker like Neighbors would allow Chris Olave to operate a little bit more in the intermediate and do less downfield. We know they have Rashid Shahid. You'd have Rashid Shahid, Malik Neighbors, Chris Olave would be a phenomenal wide receiver trio, all with a ton of speed. I think it'd be a great fit for Neighbors and a great fit for this New Orleans Saints offense. Then scrolling down the board, we get all the way down to 23, where we have the Houston Texans bring in a familiar face for their quarterback, CJ Stroud, Emeka Ibuka, coming into man the slot in Houston. I'd be curious what this could mean for Tank Dell. Obviously, Nico Collins is going to be getting his in the offense, kind of operating as the number one outside wide receiver. But Ibuka, a guy who can operate a little bit outside and in the slot, may take away a bit from Dell if this were to come to fruition. And the good thing for us for fantasy, the instant connection, the college quarterback wide receiver duo making its way to the NFL. I think that would be phenomenal for Ibuka to step into an offense that is very wide receiver friendly right now and having his quarterback to help him acclimate to the NFL quickly. This is a perfect storm for Ibuka, in my opinion. I think it'd be a great fit. Draft capital at 23 is good enough for him. I don't think we expect him to go much higher than that, maybe in the 20s, but we kind of expected him to fall behind Odunze, behind Neighbors, behind Coleman, and that's obviously reflected in this draft. He's also not a big body wide receiver. You know, last year we saw teams really reach for these bigger body outside wide receivers. We saw them go high in this mock draft, kind of still the NFL is starving for that. Obuka doesn't really fit that build, but he can do very good things out of the slot and operate well outside. So I really like this fit as the wide receiver five off the board. Really like Obuka. I think he could do some great things in Houston. 
And last but not least, we have to talk about the last pick in the draft, number 32, the Kansas City Chiefs draft wide receiver out of Oregon, Troy Franklin. This would just, this, this is it for me. For everyone who hasn't been tapped in DD for a long time, like Troy Franklin is like my dude. Like this is a guy that I did a show with Benny B on Elite Seekers talking about prospects out of California. So I, he was doing different states and prospects that were highly ranked in those states, talking about the teams they're going to and who can make an impact at the college level and ultimately in the NFL. And one of the players we both loved was Troy Franklin. And it really took Bo Nix making the decision to go from Auburn to Oregon to really unlock Franklin. But to see him as a guy that I was like, man, he looks so smooth on tape in high school. It's pretty dope to see that he is a top prospect in the NFL. But Troy Franklin is the real deal. He's so fast. He's so smooth. He's not the biggest guy. But I think you look at what he could do as an MVS plus in this Chiefs offense. He's not going to take away from Rasheed Rice. He's not going to take away from Travis Kelsey, obviously. But Sky Moore is dead. They got to get rid of him. He's, he's no good. Rasheed Rice took his job fucking three weeks into the season. So that's not a big deal for us. Troy Franklin can be the outside wide receiver. It's not Justin Ross. It's not MVS. Bring in Troy Franklin and you have a full complement of weapons for Patrick Mahomes. It is a hand and glove fit. It would be phenomenal and I would love it. I would love it. The problem is, is that what is his draft cost in rookie drafts? It's probably in the top five. You know, we'll see where the quarterbacks go outside of the first round. But honestly, First round quarterbacks, the only ones that matter. Drake May, Caleb Williams, of course, are going to be up there. Are you taking any running back in the second round or later over a first round wide receiver? Maybe, but probably not, right? Probably not. We'll see. I mean, Bijan was there, Gibbs, first round picks. Everyone else after all the first round wide receivers this year. So you got six first round wide receivers. Franklin, of course, is the one that's more of a second rounder, but you could see a team make a play like this to get a dynamic playmaker like Franklin. Ibuka is the other one that maybe could fall out. The other four, fully expect them to be first rounders. Like fully expect them to be locked and loaded first round picks. Ibuka and Franklin are the two that maybe could be second rounders, high end second rounders, like we saw with Reed, with Rice, and with Mingo this season. But all are very talented players. So that's kind of what we're looking at for the draft. Wanted to go over Jordan Reed's mock in case anybody missed it. We did post it in the Heisman chat, but in case anyone was listening to the podcast feed, didn't check the mock draft because we didn't talk about it yet. Those are the fantasy-relevant players. As I mentioned, Caleb Williams to the Bears, Marvin Harrison Jr. to the Arizona Cardinals, Drake May to the Denver Broncos. We had Keon Coleman to the Indianapolis Colts. We had Roma Dunze to the Cincinnati Bengals. We had Malik Neighbors to the New Orleans Saints. We had Emeka Ibuka to the Houston Texans and Troy Franklin to the Kansas City Chiefs. And last but not least, at tight end, Brock Bowers to the New England Patriots. That's the show, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited to see what movement we have ahead of the trade deadline. Hopefully, some of these teams that need to tank lose and trade their fantasy-relevant players to better rosters because that's what's going to help us in fantasy football. Titans, y'all better lose. Trade Derrick Henry. Trade DeAndre Hopkins. Trade Traylon Burks for all I care. Tear that thing down. I feel bad for Will Levis because I want to see what he could do with actual playmakers on the field. But Tennessee really has to make that move. Denver as well. Like, you got to make that move. They, they got to figure out their, their shit with Russ because he has a massive deal. But if they can find a way to just get their way out of it, 
I think that's for the best for them. So as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am your host, Jordan Richards. This has been Straight to the Bank, and I will see you guys in the next episode. I'm out. Peace. Okay, this shit is out of control. I'm driving through hell and I done brought snow. It's shining in here and I done brought gold. I hear the sirens right out the chateau. Run me the info.